Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group, we're more than just radio. We're back. We're going to head to Washington, D.C. and talk to our friend Bob Nay about all things D.C. Bob, are you out there? Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm in Ohio. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm fantastic. The the Ohio that was once a purple state, now firmly <laughs> now firmly red, and yet they seem to like abortion rights, or at least they don't want to ban abortion. What do you make of that? Well, uh, a couple of things. The legislature in 2019, and our governor's Mike DeWine, he went along with it, they passed a, a six-week you know, uh, abortion ban after six weeks, but they also excluded incest, rape, and life of the mother. So we had the famous you know, case at the time of the 10-year-old girl that went out of state you know, to get an abortion, right. and that caused quite a furor. That was, so that was one thing. There was no exception in there, which when I was in Congress, you could – support an exception, incest, rape, life of the mother, and still be rated high by by right to life. That's kind of changed, I guess, a lot now. The second thing is the legislature in August, in its wisdom, tried to hold a special election before the November uh, issue one abortion vote to negate, basically, the issue before it had a vote. If that makes sense, yeah. Which is so bizarre they did that, and of course it went down the tubes. So that's you know that's what I make of it. Uh, there were some other outside you know, situations here. Plus, you know, majority of the Ohioans want. Um you know, some abortions. Now, the legislature has to come back and codify the language. So it doesn't mean that, you know, that the legislature is going to go up to an abortion, you know, at birth or anything of that nature. Um, but the other thing about this is that um, it still doesn't signify, because I had a friend yesterday said, Ohio's done, it's going to go completely Democrat, and it doesn't signify that either. It really doesn't. There's still going to be individual races, you know, where um, people will look at candidates. Yeah. Bob, uh, our lone member of Congress, uh, a first-termer named Becca Ballant, uh, mm-hmm. who is Jewish and who had uh, family members lost in the Holocaust, um mm-hmm. Just announced today that, or yesterday, that she is uh, calling for a ceasefire in the Israeli-Hamas war. That is a change from her position of calling for a humanitarian pause. Bernie Sanders has not gone to the ceasefire language. Boy, we are grinding the language pretty fine on this, and I I don't pretend to understand it. But one thing that happened this week was Congresswoman Balance uh, Balance was at a fundraiser in Burlington, Vermont, and she was uh, picketed by pro pro uh, Palestinian uh, protesters. And boy, this is uh, just more tense than ever. And the and the the the, the small details of the language really matter. Well, yes, you're right. And and that's the point. I, I was watching um, Bernie Sanders make a statement on video uh, yesterday, which was very, very interesting. Um, 
and the uh, statement that he was making was about you know how you can be supporting Palestinians and not be anti-Israel, and he made that very very clear. And he said, "I am Jewish," you know. That's how he started it out. Yeah. So people are having to find themselves in a predicament of really needing to kind of split the hairs of what is supporting Palestinians or or what is supporting Hamas or is that supporting Palestinians anti you know Israeli now the uh, your member of congress is the first Jewish member of congress to seek a full ceasefire so she's making you know um national headlines on that. There have been humanitarian pauses by some of the members of Congress that are, uh, you know, are Jewish. In her statement, your Congresswoman had said um, that she doesn't know. I thought this was very interesting, her statement, because I read it yesterday. She was saying she doesn't know how to solve every aspect of the decades-long conflict, but she goes on about civilians, children, and some things that aren't uh, acceptable. And and with that, she's asking for the ceasefire. Now, the president's getting increased pressure for at least humanitarian pauses that are effective. But also now, you know, people are starting to call for a ceasefire. The polling released uh, last night is showing that Americans are becoming more sympathetic to the Palestinians. Now, it's not a huge change. But it is a moving of the needle, which I think, you know, you and I a couple of weeks ago, uh, if I recall correctly, you know, spoke about how when these we were comparing some things, you know, with like Iraq, how these things go on longer. And then people start to say, well, wait a minute. I didn't know this would happen, you know, yeah. and this is the ugly, ugly side of of uh, war. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, I, it, 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 I don't know about everybody else, but <clears throat> personally, I, I kind of, and maybe I'm being taken in by the propaganda here, but with regard to President Biden and Chinese leader uh, Xi Jinping, I kind of breathed the sigh of relief that there were two adults sitting in a room talking, each, talking to each other and making deals instead of uh, threatening to bomb each other. Did you have, did you have that well, feeling? I, I I felt at least two superpowers were able to talk. We sure can't talk to Russia, right. you know, these days. Right. Um, now the thing about the the meeting with Xi and Biden, and this is I find this very interesting, just looking kind of historically at this entire thing. You know, we gave away everything to China years ago with a permanent trade status. Once they got it. They just didn't care. And you and I could do an entire show of examples where they have just really crossed over American businesses, you know, right. and jobs. But having said that, Donald Trump set the stage of you know, some really tough moves and tough talk tariffs, et cetera, which President Biden has kept. So at least uh, I think some of Trump's actions at least allows Biden to throw out the diplomacy side without getting rid of the tariffs, which is what you have to do with China because it's aggressive. Now, 
I thought it was the best thing I thought came out of the meeting was the fact that the military can pick up the phone to each other. Right. That has to happen. And I know people might think that's just a movie thing. It's not. <laughs> they actually do that. I was on a ship 30 miles from Iran uh, when I was in Congress with the United States Navy, and the United States Navy contacted the Iranians. I heard the Iranians talking to them, and they said, we're the U.S. Navy, we're here, and the Iranians acknowledge that. So even with our relationship with Iran, we were communicating so something accidentally doesn't happen. And the military reconnection, because China was mad at us, and uh, as a result, they you know, quit picking the phone up. That was an important part of this meeting, and it's a substantive part. So that if something goes wrong, our military can pick up the, the phone to China and say, listen, you know, some things are going on here, but, you know, we're okay. Now, I believe that the fentanyl uh, statement is just ridiculous in itself. It would be wonderful to do something with fentanyl. China said this before. I have zero faith that China is going to do anything with fentanyl. This is, you know, a worldwide global uh, drug laundering, multi-billions of dollar business, and I just don't think China will. I think this is lip service when it comes to fentanyl. Uh, can you talk more about that military-to-military -military, uh, exchange? It, what we're really talking about is the danger of miscalculation. Uh, both countries have nuclear weapons, right? Right. Yes, exactly. And there were times when, for example, uh, when uh, after the election, uh, January the 6th, the Capitol, you know, that type of thing, the appearance of that uh, – sends instability shockwaves around the world, obviously, uh, because we haven't had that type of thing, you know, since the British invaded the Capitol uh, when, when they burnt the White House. So uh, that sent shockwaves, and they've got to have the ability of our military to pick up the phone and say to the Chinese military, you know, things are, you know, a little rough here, this is going on, that's going on, but everything's secure, and, you know, we're fine in the operational sense of, you know, something towards nukes. I mean, that's just the way the world is. So that's sort of the temperature takedown effect with those phones. And the most famous, of course, is the Kennedy Khrushchev hotline to the Kremlin. To the Kremlin. Right, exactly. Uh, Bob Nay, why, why, why is the lead story when I'm driving in my car on every news outlet uh, the George Santos situation? We're talking about one member of a 435-member body. Why do yeah, we care right. so much about this? Well, that's why I like your show, and that's why in particular I like radio, because you can actually get to other things, right? Yeah. There's blurbs, and in, in in I call some of the national media the entertainment media. They look for the entertainment factors of Capitol Hill. I call it the sexy, spicy political things that people go, oh, my. And, you know, with Santos, the Ethics Committee came out. They tried to expel him before it failed, and the Ethics Committee has now come out with this scathing, scathing report. But I would still caution the Ethics Committee has to say to the House, expel him. Otherwise, Santos and all these problems, and I think he, you know he's done, but with all these problems, unless the Ethics Committee moves, which they hadn't, maybe they are today, unless they move to, say, expel him, then – he may not be expelled, uh, but he's in trouble. So
So it makes a great story, though. You know, we all know by now what he's done and misused campaign funds and loans that didn't exist and just on and on. You can't believe anything that, you know, he says. Right. But it's one of those, you know, stories like when a member threatens to beat up the senator, threatens to beat up the union leader. Yeah. Makes a lot of uh, – a lot of airtime. Okay. All right. Well, we will stay up to date. Uh, all thanks to you, Bob Nay. We really appreciate you coming on, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. We are back, and with any luck, we've got Courtney Lambden from Seven Days. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, th- this is getting old, and yet we have to keep talking about it. Uh, two killed during a chaotic night of crime in Burlington and a lot of other stuff going on. Can you fill us in on the story you wrote? Yeah, so it was a, kind of a, a collaboration with my editor because there was a lot going on on Monday. So I took the first right through and he took the second. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so what we're uh, talking about, there there was kind of a crazy night um, in the city. It was Sunday night into Monday, um, and I don't know if I'll remember the chronology, but essentially, yes, the, the most serious of those crimes that you mentioned was that two people were killed um, by gunfire. The police are still investigating that. Um, we don't have uh, – police, I believe, think that, that one of those people that were uh, – that was killed was shot by the other person that was in – that apartment, um, but there, there's another person who is um, unaccounted for. So uh, Police Chief John Murad told the public at a press conference um, that there was evidence of drug, drug trafficking at this house, which is in the Old North End in the city. Um, so that was the, one of the, the most serious incidents, obviously, that night. But previously, prior to those killings, there was uh, an incident where police believe a gunshot was fired. No one was injured or hit in that uh, instance, but witnesses saw two men flee. Police are saying that there's a possible link between the Old North End killings and that incident. Um, I can keep going, Kevin. I don't know if you want to interject at any time. (laughs) Well, it's just – okay, so two dead, uh, uh, and then your story ends with uh, a – guy experiencing homelessness starting a fire in the lobby of the Burlington Police Department, uh, there is just a sense that things have gone kind of crazy. And the mayor talks about it as uh, the drug problem. Uh, But answer me this uh, factual question. Has there been an arrest in in the homicide case? Um, as far as I know, there has not. Okay. Um, okay. So there is yeah. a there is a shooter on the loose somewhere in Vermont who killed two people. I believe that is the case. As, as far as I know, we have not heard an update. Um, okay. The police chief did say though that you know this was deemed to be a, a targeted incident and that the, the greater public is not in danger per se. That that I believe is what the chief said. Okay. Uh, what do you make of this, uh, Courtney? You're, you're, you cover the city of Burlington. You cover the mayor. You cover the police chief and the city council. Uh, you know, wh- where does this story go next? Clearly, uh, public safety is going to be the issue in the upcoming mayor's race. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what I'm kind of shifting to now. Um, uh, obviously, we'll cover the developments when and if they make an arrest. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm focusing on the mayor's race. Uh, there are a few candidates that are lined up already for the Democratic caucus on December 10th. And uh, so far, one progressive candidate. And of course, independents could jump in at any time, and they often wait until after the party caucuses. Um, so we, we don't know the full picture yet. But all of the candidates who are in the race so far, they're all talking about public safety because that's what is on everybody's mind. We have had Emma Mulvaney-Stanek, the progressive, on the show, and we had Karen Paul, uh, a leading Democrat and the president of the city council on the show. Uh, I've emailed Joan Shannon, and now I am due to email C.D. Madison, a Democrat, uh, to ask her to come on the show because she launched her campaign on Monday uh, those three Democrats, and please fill us in on the inside mechanics of Burlington politics. Those three candidates will face off against each other in a in a caucus. Is that right? Yeah, essentially that's Burlington's way of doing a primary. Yeah, um, but it's it's not on a ballot. It's you have to show up or log on virtually to this um, nominating event, and for the Democrats. It's on December 10th. It's the Sunday afternoon. And so the real uh, key for all of these candidates will be getting people to show up, like either in person or online, um, because that's really that's how you decide who your candidate is. Um, and as far as I know, it's a one night thing for Democrats. I know the progressives have sometimes opened online voting for several nights or days because people can't always make one you know, one Sunday night event. Um, but, but it seems as though right now that the Democrats are just doing that. So it's December 10th is the day they have to get people out and vote on that day. And if you don't get the nomination, you can't run as a Democrat. Wow. Okay. And can anybody just show up to that caucus? Uh, yes, you have to, um, agree to, you mean candidates or the public? Well, I mean, like me. I mean, can I just walk in there and sit in the back and watch? Yeah, yeah, you can absolutely watch. Um, you know, of course, you're a member of the media, so, of course, any media is allowed. But, yeah, if anyone wants to watch, I'm sure they can go. You just, you know, if you you can only vote in the caucus if you're a, a registered Burlington voter. Yeah. Um, and you have to agree to only participate in one caucus. So right. if you go to this one and cast a vote, you can't then go to the Progressive or Republican caucus. But I'm fairly certain they'll let anybody in just to see how it goes. Can't wait. Okay. And last question. Um, I have a prediction. Moreau Weinberger, the mayor of Burlington, who announced in your story that he will not seek re-election, he's running for governor. Uh, whether Phil Scott decides to run for re-election or not, it's Every signal I see says that he's uh, running. He's on the phone. He's he's raising money. He's gathering support. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, I would I I have seen the same signals, and of course, he has not confirmed that. Um, but it, it will be interesting. I think he's probably testing the waters and seeing if he can build up some support. That's that's me, a total guess. I have yeah. no inside information, but um, I do think it could happen, um, and it will be interesting to see when or if he decides to announce it. I do know that he doesn't plan on weighing in on the Democratic mayoral caucus. 
Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> and and I would think that some of those Democratic candidates would want his endorsement, but others may not. Uh, I mean, I I find his his legacy in Burlington to be kind of a mixed bag, and and fairly or unfairly, he's the guy in office when this fentanyl drug crisis has taken place, and and all the ups and downs of the police department. Uh, you know, he was there and he's going to have to wear that as he if he decides to run for governor. Yeah, I mean, I think that will be a challenge. I think that people who don't live and breathe Burlington politics like me um, could just look at a, a Weinberger campaign and say, we don't want the rest of Vermont to become like Burlington. Right. Um, I, I don't know if that's a fair criticism. Uh, Moreau has actually done a lot uh, in the field of, um, you know, harm reduction measures. He is lobbying very hard to uh, get the state to spend some of its opioid lawsuit settlement funds uh, to combat these problems. And also, uh, this is not just in Burlington. I think everybody knows that. People are addicted to very dangerous drugs everywhere. And I think that in Burlington, we just see a large concentration of it because this is this is the biggest city. Um, you know, I think people say call City Hall Park like Vermont's living room. It's certainly Burlington's living room. So I think Burlington gets perhaps an unfair uh, shake yeah. sometimes because we we all know that this drug crisis is is happening everywhere. So but for, for sure, Moreau will have to talk about that on the campaign trail if he does decide to run. Okay, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, it's Friday, so Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, we all want to go to Burlington to do something fun. Give us, give us a couple of fun things to do this weekend in Burlington. Oh well, I mean, of course there there are always uh, a lot of restaurants. Uh, people, some folks might have you believe that everything in downtown Burlington is closing, but that is not true. Uh, so there are a lot of restaurants, a lot of shops. Um, I was here earlier in the week where the, the Christmas tree was delivered. So I don't know when they're putting the lights on it, but that's, that could be fun to watch. I don't know when that's happening. Of course, the tree lighting is next week. Um, you know, I tend to spend my, my Saturdays just strolling down Church Street, you know, visiting the num- number of coffee shops, used bookstores. That's what I like to do. But, oh, yeah, me uh, too. I'm sure there's something for everyone. No, no. Crow, it's, it's Crow Books on Church Street. There's a there's a chair in, right in the window there uh, where you can sit and read. Uh, and then uh, lunch at Lunig's uh, and then over to Phoenix Books. But I also noticed that uh, the old Penny Cluse is now being refurbished and taken over by a, the former chef at Hen of the Woods. So I'm excited about that. That's going to be a new restaurant. Yeah, I'm excited about that too. Of course, I, Penny Cluse will always hold a very special place in everyone's heart, including mine. But um, it's really uh, heartening to see someone opening that spot. It's a really prominent downtown location on a really busy corner. So I'm certainly excited. Uh, hopefully they're open for lunch so I can maybe go there during the workday. Yeah, <laughs> but, or, or, uh, or breakfast, yeah. or breakfast. We need or breakfast. It. Uh, because Henry's is closing, right? Henry's Diner? Um, I haven't heard they're closing. I had heard that the business is for sale. Okay. So um, hopefully, I guess, whoever buys it would continue doing what Henry's is doing. Yeah, well, but where would I, we see I, Bernie I, Sanders eating bad bad <laughs> breakfast food if not at Henry's Diner? 
This is true. Okay. A great question. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, Courtney, uh, thank you. Thank you for covering Burlington and reporting to us. We really appreciate it. Sure thing. And we're back for our last half hour on the Vermont Viewpoint Kevin Ellis uh, Friday version. Uh, we're going to, of course, dedicating this entire show to the late, great Kenley Squire. Uh, you'll be able to listen to this show as a podcast, oh, I don't know, an hour or two after it's, uh, after we're finished. And you can read my essay, uh, or listen to my essay about Ken, who, as I said, I didn't know well, but, uh, he was, he hosted this show once, uh, substituting for Mark Johnson and had me on as a guest. And we were talking about marijuana legalization. I think I was against it at the time, (laughs) but, but, uh, and God, just just you know, watching Ken manage a, a radio show was just a thing of beauty. So it's a it's a legacy that uh, we will continue to try to measure up here and measure to. And I will do that right now with our next guest. Uh, we're going to talk about windows, specialty windows. So our guest is Chris Pratt of East Montpelier. He's been making specialized replacement windows uh, for customers for a long, long time. I'm reading his bio. He went to Middlebury College and uh, was part of that whole generation of folks who bought the Kate Farm at, at, at Goddard College. Um, and uh, he's been doing this forever. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Wow. It's great to be here. The Kate Farm. Yeah. That's Let's, where it started. We have to start there. All right. <laughs> you mean, you mean Wiswall's place? Wiswall's place. Yeah. Oh my God. Wiswall, Richard Wiswall, the owner of the Cade Farm. If you are out there, I still buy my, oh yeah, my veggie starts there every year, spend way too much money. Uh, and it's just the, the start of the gardening season. Tell us yeah. about that history. Well, um, you know, my father was on, on the board at Goddard and I had just graduated from Middlebury and we, a bunch of us were kind of back to the landers and environmentalists. Um, I was living it, I was down in New York City for a, a little while and then my father said, Hey, the Kate farm is for sale. You want to buy it? <laughs> And I thought, wow. <laughs> and so I called up my friend Steve Brock and Richard and Steve was in the process of looking for a farm with Richard Wiswall and Ned Farquhar and a bunch of others from, from Middlebury. Um, and so we all joined. Ned, I didn't know Ned Farquhar was part of that crowd. Uh, Ned was a, he, he dropped out pretty early, but he was a part of the original crowd. It was yep. really, uh, yeah, it was, no, no, he, he was with us for a while. Um, Rich Charloff, Ned Farquhar, uh, Steve and Wiz and I. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, Wiz and I were the only ones who were there when we got there and bought it and, Kicked out or <laughs> displaced the uh, yeah. <laughs> the Institute for Social Ecology, ah. which was there at the time. Murray Bookchin. Murray Bookchin and Dan Chodorkoff and 
anyway, it was, uh, you know, uh, I was living in New York and I was like, yeah, this, this could be great. <laughs> and wasn't, wasn't exactly sure what we were, we, we had ideas, a lot of ideas and, um, we wanted to make it a model farm and we wanted to do this and that and, um, so for the first year, we all went, a bunch of us from Middlebury who didn't know what we were doing at the time, all congregated around the farm and we fixed it up and, um. I well, love that. Congregated around the farm. Yeah. Congregated yeah. around the farm. It was a, it was sort of a commune kind of thing. We didn't really know what, what it was, but we were trying to figure it out. Um, and it was wild and crazy. After a year there, I was like, I got to get some privacy. So I went back down to New York. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do a full show on the Goddard to New York yeah. connection. There's yeah, a, that would there's, be fascinating. There's an underground railroad pipeline that uh, that still – I mean, Jules Rabin and it's just the whole crowd yeah. of, of New York people that – came here. Yeah, that's so. that's kind of how I got here for sure. My grandfather was in New York and connected with um, Pit, uh, Pitkin yeah. uh, around progressive education. There you go. And yeah. that's that's how it all started. Okay, a whole show on that yeah. uh, to come. But it, but it, but anyway, eventually Richard took over the farm. Yeah. And 90 something uh, 92. We all just basically said, "You you know what you're doing here. We don't need to be around." And we all went our separate ways. And we, my father was involved as well, so we all just sold the farm to to Richard, and um, and he's done an amazing and, and job. He has figured it out. He's figured it out. He's the author of a fabulous book. Yep. And he's made a living at it. Raised a family and there. The, and amazingly, his son and turned it is, over. And turned it over, which yeah. is. An, an incredible feat and great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Okay. Wiz, if you're out there, you need to come on the show. We need to tell that story. Yes. But first, you make high quality specialty replacement windows for people. Tell us about well, that. Well, okay. This is interesting because I have to explain, like, kind of correct people on what it is. I take the windows they already have, yeah. which are. Almost any old window is going to have is going to have higher quality wood to it, um, and higher quality hardware. So I take what you already have in terms of a nice wooden window that has been a problem because it it's not insulated, it doesn't operate very well, and I'll take that window and give it the full retrofit. And you'll get it back, and it'll be as energy efficient as a replacement window, a modern replacement window, and will function properly. And it'll be the same window you've always had and loved. Uh, most people really do like their old windows. Oh, yeah. And this has obviously a, a lot of advantages because the windows are part of the integrity of the, the house, and they're all the same, and so uh, that's pretty much what I'm I'm doing. And do you do this? Do you do? Uh, do you take a window from one customer, or do you take ten out of an entire house? Mostly, I would. I try and take five windows makes it the best uh, economy of scale, but I, I tailor it to whatever the homeowner needs and wants. So 
if they're doing 10 windows, I'll say, hey, well, I'll take out five and then I'll come back again and take out another five. Um, and in the process, a lot of people have storm windows, which they also want to get rid of. Uh, but I say, don't get rid of the storm windows yet. We'll use those while I take out your your primary sash and you can use the storm windows to keep the house from getting too cold or just keep the bugs out. Right. But there's that. And if you don't have storm windows, then I just put plastic in and it's about a two to three week turnaround. So I take five windows out and two weeks later, you'll have five windows back in. Why would I do this instead of calling up Pella or Anderson or even, you know. Uh, let me count the ways and the reasons. Why can't I just go get a junk window from <laughs> Lacolade? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you'll find for most people uh, like the price. The price is less. And most people like that I can do it um, f- faster in a way that – or uh, let me say the, the, the wait time for a new window is can be very long right now because of the supply chain problems. Yeah, um, and I don't, I can't think of a reason why anybody would want a replacement window if they have. Well, I mean, from my perspective, it's like, why? What's your reason for for uh, getting a modern replacement window because if you get an insert, which is where the cost comparisons are the best, you're going to lose glass space. You're going to get a pretty uh, – not as – a lower quality window. Um, you're not getting any advantages with efficiency and the windows aren't going to match the rest of your house unless you do them all. Uh, then if you're concerned about climate, you're spending a lot of – you're using a lot of carbon to create the new window and you're throwing out the carbon of the old window and you got a window that you can't replace, repair and you're going to have to replace it in 20 years. Right. Those are the ones that are on top of my head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean otherwise you're supporting a, a, a local business. You're supporting – you know, this is yeah. – this is, well, yeah. Well, uh, so I live in a one-room renovated schoolhouse in East Montpelier, and those windows are huge. They're huge, yeah, right? Right. They're the traditional schoolhouse windows. You know why they had big school windows? I, I because they didn't, they didn't they didn't have lights back then. You needed a lot of light for people to read. Of course. And you had to have big windows in order oh, for there God. to be a lot of light. Right. That's. That's the reason. So it's we cold reno- as hell. But. We renovated this place, and but we didn't replace the windows. So good. I think these windows are are nineteen eighties. I mean, they must have been replaced since the place was built in eighteen ninety seven. Not necessarily. Well, I mean, are they wood? Are they so? What, what kind of tracks do they have? In other words, balances. Are they plastic balances or are they weights? With they're not weights. They're not weights. No. So somebody, yeah, if they're not weight, well, so really, a long time ago, they they might not have had weights, but they had pins to hold it up. There's different ways of balancing windows. Yeah. And you can use pins, weights, or now the modern is the plastic jam liners, they're called. So do I replace these windows? Well, now you're in a 
different category. Why would you want to replace it? They leak. They're, they're, they're old. They don't work. They don't operate. Is that the problem? They're fine. They're fine. They're okay. Fine. Well, then, then I wouldn't want to replace them. I mean, I'd love to replace them because they, the new ones made by you would be more beautiful. But I don't make new oh, windows. Oh, that's right. So you would take them out and refurbish them. Well, okay. So I'm, I'm not going to be able to help you out if you have a 1980s window that already has double-paned glass. Yeah. yeah. Then, and they have jam liners. That's a that's a category that I'm very frustrated with because a lot of people say, "No, I want new windows. I want yeah. something better." Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, I can't really help you because they've taken out the weights. You've replaced it with." I see. You know, so so I that's not a quality window to me. That's a modern factory built window that you could live with. Sure. The, pe- the people who I really help out are the ones who have the original windows. I see. And they don't have any weather stripping in there. They don't have any way of balancing them. And the single-pane glass is really cold. Those are the people I'm helping out. Got it. Um, yeah, because- it's, this, it's a single-pane glass that's frosted over yeah, February. Yeah, right. Okay. We're talking about taking your single-pane windows from the 1870s up to the 19... 19- up to the 21st century. Oh, oh, you mean the windows that? Are, so the time, the time period? period for the windows that you the work windows on. I work on. That's a really great question. The oldest ones I've ever worked on were 400 years old. <laughs> uh, and the and then around the 1960s is when the single pane goes into the double pane. And that's when the change happens. So, but you could get single pane windows going up into the mid seventies, pretty much after the you know Carter administration's well, the whole oil embargo in the seventies. Right. right. That's when modern uh, thermal pane windows really became popular. Tell us about uh, doing this work. Uh, I know that you're uh, across the railroad tracks from the Hunger Mountain Food Co-op because uh, I see you at the Food Co-op Cafe. Frequently. I know. That's where we run into each That's, other. Yeah. So um, do you have help? Uh, you know, we talk about this workforce problem all the time. Everyone, no one can find anybody to do these jobs. It's a big challenge. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky right now I have – Uh, I have a guy who's been working for me for almost a year, I think, and he is from Tunisia. Um, He's about, I don't know, he's going to give me a hard time for not remembering exactly how old he is, but he's like (laughs) 37 or so. Um, And he's really knows how to fix things. And he's, uh, he and I been working together now for a year and it's been great um we've hired tried try, i've hired, tried to hire other people to help us both but he's um it's great to have somebody there who i can just leave the work and he can do it yeah that is new um i've been doing this for 15 years and 
I've had people working for a long time who are good. I won't say, you know, there's been some good, but for whatever reason, they move on or they want to go somewhere else or do something else. Yeah. Um, but I've also run, you know, gone through a huge number of people who come in for a week and I'm like, this is just not going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. Wait, I have, I have failed to mention the name of your company, which is called Open, Open Sash. Sash. Yes. Open and if anybody Sash. wants to get a hold of me, uh, using the email is the best. Okay. Uh, OpenSash.com. Dot com. Yep, check you it can out. Check it out. Let's, uh, we're going to take a phone call. From Mark in Bristol, you're on the phone with uh, window extraordinaire craftsman Chris Pratt. Go ahead. Awesome. Hey, Chris, uh, I have an old house. It was built in 1945, single-pane windows, and uh, I do my own maintenance, but I haven't touched my windows in a long time, and everything's loose, you know, as far as the glazing and all that, and uh, what do you recommend for the best glazing, and should I, should I linseed lin oil? First, uh -huh. and then yeah. the glazing. Uh. Yeah, definitely linseed oil. Um, yeah, we we use this thing called dual glaze, um, and it's the um, Sarco. It's it's what all the historic preservation people use. Uh, you have to go online. It's it's S A R C C O Sarco, and that's. That's good. That's really – that's the what you should use. Um, but DAP33, I used that for a long time, and that's the hardware, the local Aubuchon hardware uh, glazing. Yeah. And that'll that'll yeah. work too. Um, I'm, I'm not a bit – I'm not a total purist on that score. Um, but, but so I'm, I'm getting it. So what I have in this whole health – I have steam heat. And, uh, you know, I've, I've overmatched everything and I got a, a system that's taking me 50 years to figure out how to really run it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it'll drive you out. So I, I just have the single pane windows with aluminum storms. Yeah. And it's all good. But, um, I've got to get to these windows and I don't want to put new in because it just, it takes away the character of the don't, house. Don't do uh, it. Don't do it. Yeah, no, and yeah, if, uh, um, if you're sick of the storms, you know, and you want to upgrade to a double pane without throwing, you know, with keeping your old windows, and everything will look the same. Everything will, it'll operate better. I can give you seals. Um, yeah. When you're ready for that. I mean, I'll, I'll say that the, the, just the price for, how many divided lights do you have? Uh, in other words, is it six over six, which is pretty traditional? Yeah, they're, 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 they're six over sixes, but because, you know, like I, when I bought this, I, I got one to do it myself, and I, I over-insulated I put an R48 in my ceiling, uh, and this house has aluminum siding on it, so it's super tight. Yeah. And now I've got cast iron radiators, uh, and I oversized just realizing that you heat those babies up, and you got some heat, and we just do two fires a day with the oil on. I think I spent... I used 670 gallons last year of oil for this old colonial house, which I think is pretty good. But you know, we're we're as warm as toast. Okay. And, and I like the fact that I got air movement because I also think over tight. Who the hell knows what kind well, of sure. viruses and sure. You can always open the window. Uh, Mark, thanks for the yeah. call. Yeah, thanks Mark, a lot. Thanks for the call. Good luck with it all. Um, all right. Thank you so much, guys. Yep. Like me, you are not. Uh, 22 years old. How, I, I how am 66. Gonna, how long are you going to keep doing this in the 30 seconds that we have left? 
I'm looking at a max of five years, yeah. and I'm backing away as we speak. <laughs> well, opensash.com, uh, if you, if you want to uh, get your windows done, your old single-pane windows, yep. everyone's got them. Everybody's got them. Call, uh, everybody email. loves them. Send Chris, send Chris Pratt an email, uh, opensash.com. Thanks for coming Th- on the show. Thanks, Kevin, for inviting me on. That's our show for today. My thanks to Andrew Savage, Bob Nay, Courtney Lambden, and Chris Pratt. And, of course, Ken Squire, who's out there. I'm always looking for guests who will provoke us, inform us, and challenge us. Uh, be sure to come to the uh, 30th gala anniversary celebration tonight at the Vermont College of Fine Arts uh, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Montpelier Bridge. Uh, I think Ken would have liked us to do that. I will be moderating a panel on the importance of local journalism to the preservation mm. of democracy. Our goal is to illuminate and inform and have some fun along the way. Remember, you can stream this show live or listen later as a podcast at WDEV Radio anytime, anywhere. As always, we talk politics, media, and culture and everything else on my mind and yours. I am here Wednesdays and Fridays. You can find me at KevinKEllis.com, where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Conflict of Interest. I also have a podcast of the same name. Check out this week's episode. It's about uh, it's about the country of Wales and uh, the commissioner of future generations. Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible by. Lee Cattell, Greg Titus, Danny McGivrick, and Steve Cormier, and all the folks at WDEV. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and I'll see you right back here Wednesday on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio on the friendly pioneer, rest in peace, Kenley Squire, WDEV.